Hello, and welcome back to the Secure Contain podcast. I got the name right this time because I thought about Hell it before yeah. I said it. Uh, I am Dave. I'm joined by Not Dave, as always. That's my name. Uh, and we're finally finishing the Cool War. Finally. It's been... <laughs> this is it. Long time. I think it's literally been, like, four months or something. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it up. Uh, I hate it. Let's see if Spotify decides to load. The first episode of the Cool War Part 1 was uploaded on November 2nd, which means it was probably recorded in October. So, Jesus Christ, it's been three months. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, we're finally done it, which is cool. Um, Also, I've just realized that at at the time of recording this, episode five is not out yet, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, you're right. I was looking on the chart, because we missed two. Because we didn't do it the one week because of holidays. Yeah. So, all right, cool. And then the and, uh, next one's not out, and it still says one play for some reason. Who is hacked into the servers? Oh no, now it says zero. <laughs> yeah, no, that's going. Up. So this is going up at the end of January. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. It might actually even be February. We are ahead. Uh, you're right. It'd be February first, actually. Wow. Happy February. You're made it a twelfth, one twelfth. Time is weird. We're recording this early. We are ahead. That's fucking... That's so weird. Wow, what a concept. Um, <laughs> let's try to right, keep cool. doing it. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's... Just uh, calling me on Discord. Can... I'm not going to answer. Yeah, I forgot to put my phone on silent, so there might be a buzz in there at one point. That's um, So <clears throat> we are reading the last two um, parts of the Cool War, uh, where part 22 is first for today's episode. That's Eulogy for the Living. We're just going to knock the rest of it out because there's no point in... Yeah. Not doing so. Oh, God, I just realized we're not going to... We're going to have to figure out what to do again. We don't just have yes, the same thing that we can I'm just keep going. Not looking forward to that aspect of it. I think <laughs> you still... I think you wanted to do the the misters, right? Oh, the, yeah, maybe. We'll figure I'm it out. I'm pretty sure you wanted to do that next. We, we'll figure that out. We'll figure it uh, out. Until then, it's fine. eulogy for the living. Um, At the top, it just Please. says no part of 22 of 23. Reading this first part is very bad idea, and we'll spoil a lot of the story. So go listen to all of the other episodes. It is required. There will be a test. <sighs> yeah, that's like test five, one. Four or five hours of at okay. twenty two thirty four. What uh, syllable was next said? Uh, uh, send your answers to Venmo with a five dollar payment, <laughs> and the winner will get uh, a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> you I'm, can don't actually join do our that. Discord server. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, I'm gonna just go ahead and get started. The winner gets to follow us on Twitter. You get to follow us. Um, all right, yeah, eulogy for the living. I'll just go ahead and start. <clears throat> Ruiz the champ. Ruiz stirred, rubbing his eyes and yawning as he woke himself up. He went to stretch his arms, but was stopped by the clanking metal restraints changing him to the table. He looked up, staring into the terse face of Aiden Green. Fuck. Agent Green had taken every possible precaution. The remainder of MTF Upsilon 18 were stationed outside the containment chamber. In retrospect, the last breach was only possible because Green was alone. The room was vacuum-sealed, with no methods of opening the door from the inside. Cameras observed every nook and cranny of the room, even well outside the visible spectrum. Green opened the thick manila folder, spreading photographs and incident reports across the table. You've gotten our attention, Mr. Duchamp. 73 anomalies recovered in the last six months all of which you have have your name on them. Ruiz leant, leant as far over the table as his restraints would let him, looking at the pictures before falling back into a seated position, grinning. You're missing a few. 
Green drove his right fist into Champ's jaw. The raise jerked roughly in his chains, then rubbed his chin gingerly. Grin dissolved. Green moved closer, staring into Champ's eyes as menacingly as he could. You do not speak unless I ask you a question. Is that understood? Duchamp remained silent. Green sat down on his seat again, straightening his tie. Glad to see you can do this the easy way, Mr. Duchamp. Green sorted through the photographs, picking one at random. Let's, look, have, a, let's have, a look, have a look at this one. Hmm? Bells and whistles. A noisemaker. A public nuisance. You want to know what we did to this, Mr. Duchamp? No. We destroyed it. We put the thing in a trash compactor and squeezed it until it went silent. Green slid two photographs across the table. One was an intricately fashioned gold quadruped shooting steam for vents along its back. The other was a shiny cubicle brick. Before and after, Mr. Duchamp. This is not art. It's not clever. It is not thought-provoking. It is not cool. It is simply annoying. Let's look at another one. Ah, I remember this. I know you're going to fuck this up, you assholes. Why can't you just learn to le- <laughs> Why can't you just learn to leave well enough alone? So on and so forth. And indeed, fuck it up we did. Now it's just a pile of broken glass. I keep a fragment of it on my desk just to remind me of how shattered, of how it shattered into a thousand pieces. What was the purpose of that work, Mr. Duchamp? For you to break it. Well, I'm glad to have played right into your hands. What an amazing statement you made. What a revolutionary masterpiece. This is sarcasm, Mr. Duchamp, in case you couldn't recognize it. You clearly don't have much of a mind for subtlety. Ruiz tapped his fingers against each other. It wasn't the restraints that were getting to him, nor Green's criticism of his work. It was a lack of stimuli. He started to spin the sides of an imaginary Rubik's Cube, thinking of the clacking of plastic against plastic. Green stared at the fidgeting artist. Pay attention, Mr. Duchamp. We're about to get to the most important part. The Hanged King's tragedy. Ruiz looked up suddenly. That wasn't me! Green slammed a left hook against Ruiz's cheekbone, growing, growling at him like a rabid dog. That was not a question, Mr. Duchamp. Ruiz rubbed his cheek as it started to bruise, glaring angrily at Agent Green. The Hanged King's tragedy. SCP-701, we call it. See, what you have done has broken our containment procedures, Mr. Duchamp, and we do not take kindly to that. Sure, stupid scraps of Anart, we get that all the time. We'll clean up your messes, we don't care. But this, this performance constituted a containment breach. That changes our operational procedure quite a bit. Green sat down, scratching his chin as Duchamp fidgeted in his seat. Mr. Duchamp, we are going to terminate you. Ruiz felt his heart skip a beat. The conversation had become too real. He raised his hand as much as his restraints allowed. Yes? It wasn't me. We have verified sources that say otherwise. Do you have any proof? Sandra Paulson's immune to hypnotics, as am I, by the way. This stuff's just making me drowsy. Agent Green started to champ, observing as he scratched where the needle had filled him with this scopolamine cocktail. He thought for a few moments, and continued. Do you know who provided Sandra Paulson with that document? Oh, yeah, the sculptor. Agent Green raised his eyebrows. Do you know where the sculptor is? Haven't been tracking the real one for days. Stupid clones. Are you aware of the incident involving the sculptor this morning? Oh, yeah, you guys were shooting at me for a bit. Green frowned, moving closer. You were inside 16 Hartford Street? Yep, for a while before you were. Why? A uh, private issue. Family matters. Don't make me punch you again, Mr. Duchamp. It's harder to understand someone with a broken jaw. I was recovering my brother. Your brother? Pico Wilson, the sniffer. Green frowned, trying to hide his confusion. Different surnames? Changed mine five years ago. Never made a formal. I'm not known as Duchamp on any paper records. Ah, uh, I see. Are you aware that your brother has similarly acted against our organization? In a non-specific fashion. Like you, he was involved in a containment breach. A substantially more serious one. I wasn't. Green drew back his fist. Duchamp cut off mid-sentence before a blow could be delivered. <coughs> Only when I asked a question. 
Mr. DeChamp, if what you say is true, and Miss Paulson and yourself are immune to hypnotic effects, then nothing that you tell me has any weight. Your words and hers now mean nothing. Her word against yours, and neither can be verified. That said, given your forthrightness in providing answers, I have no reason to doubt you. Green moved to the door, pressing a button for the intercom. Alcorn, can you look up records on a Pico Wilson? Look, look up Ruiz Wilson while you're at it. Understood. Green turned around and sat back down at the table. Mr. Wilson. Ruiz squirmed, uneasy at the use of his birth name. I have no proof of your relation to the SCP-701 breach. You have no proof against it. I would tend to err on the side of leniency, but given your track record, I'm not feeling particularly generous. See, Mr. Wilson, in this room, I am the judge. I am the jury, and should I find you guilty, I am the executioner. Green unholstered his pistol, pointing it squarely towards Ruiz's head. If Agent Alcord returns to this room, and any of what you said turns out to have been a lie, I am pulling this trigger. Ruiz stared down the barrel of the gun, feeling drops of sweat form around his hairline, slowly sliding down his face. Green closed his left eye, positioning his right one along the sights. Feeling scared, Mr. Wilson? If you've been honest, there's nothing to fear. The two of them sat in silence for one minute, then two. The vacuum seal in the chamber resisted all sound. Ruiz heard his pulse throbbing in his ears. The intercom buzzed. Find your files, Green. Green stood, moved to the small metal cube, and pushed, and pushing the talk button. And pushed. No, yeah. Moving to the small metal cube and pushing the talk button. Ruiz exhaled a, exhaled a breath he hadn't noticed he was keeping in. Relation? Brothers. Thanks, Alcorn. I think we're almost done here. Green moved back to the table, taking a seat again. Ruiz was faintly smiling, relieved at his imminent release. Don't celebrate just yet, Mr. Wilson. There's still no pressing reason to keep you alive. Ruiz swung from elation to fear in an instant. We do, however, need to bring your brother in for questioning. <clears throat> and unfortunately, you are the best lead we have on him. Green scratched his chin, contemplating the best course of action. Ideally, Ruiz would default to their side, acting as willing bait for his sibling. But, <clears throat> of course, his resistance to hypnotics made him untrustworthy at best. You needed to keep him under control within their surveillance without any risk of him running off. And you needed to keep him unaware. They needed to make him boring. And then, through a spark of genius, Green had an idea. Mr. Wilson, you say you have a resistance to hypnotics. How do you respond to amnestics? Ruiz, fe <laughs> Ruiz felt the blood drain from his face. Poorly. Very, very poorly. Green laughed. Well, I don't see a downside here. The rest, the rest was forgotten. Was... Oh. You're good. You can the go. rest was forgotten, as was the world. All uppercase, all uppercase. I'll do this next little bit. Okay. Ruiz rubbed the grit from his eyes. He had fallen asleep in the middle of the gallery, during the middle of the day, for several hours, while standing up, again. Ruiz looked at the digital watch on his right wrist. It was 3.45pm. Ruiz looked at the analog watch on his left wrist. It was 3.45pm. Ruiz looked at the pocket watch in the painting in front of him. It was melting onto a tree branch and had likely not been wound for some time. Ruiz knew not to trust readings from surrealistic timepieces and pouted at the piece. That said, however, it was still 3.45pm. Ruiz walked past the reception, out the door, three doors down the street, entered a coffee shop, and asked for an espresso. He picked up the cup and turned to leave. The barista talked to his back on the way out. You feeling okay, Ruiz? He turned to the concerned girl behind the counter. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. He walked out, sipping his coffee. He'd have to learn that girl's name one day. Confusion then acceptance stolen from <coughs> Sorry about that. Ruiz returned to his studio, finding it filled with various death traps. He missed Osage temples, trying to drown out his pervasive headache. When did he put this together? He looked at the plaques by the installation, confused at the purposeful misspelling of various words. It looked complete, he thought. May as well open it up to the public. Hold on, I'll be right back. I need to... <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. okay. This bit, I like this bit. I read ahead a little bit. 
Thus came the beginning, the rest was context. Three people have died from your exhibition. They signed waivers. I've got people breathing down my neck here. They all signed waivers. They knew what they were getting into. They were consenting adults. Ruiz de Champ's latest exhibition was, he believed, his masterpiece, an installation that had taken him five months in total con to construct, Wow We Go Kill Your Seppel, was his homage to stupidity. How he'd come up with the idea still seemed to escape him, and yet it was one of his best. He had jumped through so many hoops to absolve himself of responsibility, and yet he was still being slammed by the man. It was ridiculous. They're demanding you get rid of the smallpox. One of the most popular parts of Wowie was stab your cephal with needles. It was simply an open box containing needles with samples of the most virulent diseases and deadly poisons in the history of mankind. This is how one of the people died, after willfully injecting himself with a deadly dose of everything. When everyone asked how he obtained such things, he simply shrugged his soldiers and said he had his ways. I won't compromise the integrity of the peace to accommodate for morons. You're going to have to, and the blades have to go too. The noisiest pieces in the hall, shove your fingers and blades number one through five, were simply high-rotation carbon steel circular saws. They have been painted in bright primary colors, but besides that, they are perfectly normal and could easily remove a hand. Two hands had been willfully removed by critics. Ruiz hated the critics. He couldn't quite recall why. There are warnings everywhere. The whole point of the piece is to put people in easily avoidable but very real danger. If you recontextualize any of it, it's worth it. Not good enough. You're marching to the drum of the man. I'm trying to save people's lives. You're trying to save idiots who shove their fingers into bloody saws. The name of the piece told them to. Hell, at least I didn't name anything jump off a bridge. What a catastrophe that would have been. Every piece in the exhibit was designed to kill or at the very least grievously injure. The one fear that Ruiz had was that some particularly idiotic person would use them to kill or at the very least grievously injured another person. Fortunately, this had not yet occurred. The very thought of killing another human being repulsed him. We've already taken the C4 from you. What? Nobody even used press button for fireworks. This is downright puritanical. Safety comes first. You can't pull shit like this in my gallery. You're ruining the vision. You saw it before. The work's been recontextualized. The police weren't breathing down my fucking neck. You need to make everything safe or you need to get it out of here. I regret it. You know I love the piece, but people are just too stupid for it. That is the purpose of the work. If you're not too stupid to know not to sit in an electric chair and pull the lever, it's your own damn fault. Their blood is my canvas. I know. I get it. But get it somewhere else. Sorry. Ruiz is disappointed. He walked into his favorite room, passing the box of cyanide pills, saying, Complimentary, please take one. He moved past the automatic countdown guillotines. He looked passively beyond here play with these knives. He, though he had one piece that he'd been saving for a particularly disappointing event. He closed the airtight door and breathed slowly. Everyone was a fucking idiot. Before I move on... That was, I believe, verbatim. Yes. The first story. And the, yes. the next line is, I believe, the one near the ending. Nobody mm -hmm. got it. And then nobody really got it. Nobody? Nobody. Nobody? 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 Nobody. Those last four are in the same formatting as the voices. Nobody at all. This isn't right. As he turned the knob, liquid nitrogen sprayed across his scalp and flesh. His final thoughts were that it didn't matter. Didn't matter? Doesn't matter. His final thoughts were that it never mattered. At least he got it. He really got it. He 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 got it. And that was all he needed. Take shower to be cool. What a stupid name. Sometimes Ruiz, things just... I don't know how to say. Perhaps I would call it reversion. Sometimes things revert. Have you noticed? It's as though we were living on the edge of a coin. A knife, even. Something's, sometimes things revert and the world feels horribly different. Can you feel it? You felt it, haven't you? There's just something about my brain. It's been twisted, you understand? Twisted by a man who thought it would be fun. Or perhaps not. 
Perhaps he kept me the same and twisted the world. How could you even tell? Death, Death. followed. You are cordially invited to the funeral of Ruiz Edward David DeChamp, an artist. And then, a six of a six. one is peace and joy. A six of second, censorship. A sixth of third is start revealed. A bird's fresh wings have thus been snipped. And then the last one. This is <clears throat> part 23 of 23. This is called, Wowie, You Killed Yourself. Your Seffel. The sculptor walked confidently to the grimy wooden door. He turned the breast knob, then pulled the door open. The janitor sat in front of him, its arms crossed across the across the chest its chest. The regular dull wheeze of a gas mask buzzed through the throughout the cramped, dilapidated room. The sculptor let the door swing shut behind him with a small metallic click. He smirked at the masked figure. Well, am I the critic yet? The janitor remained motionless. Yes. The sculptor's smirk widened to a smile, teeth grinning at his new slave. Brilliant, brilliant. The sculptor looked down, staring at his muddy clay encrusted hands. Fucking brilliant. He let his head swing back, wildly cackling at the roof, eyes wide open, ecstasy spilling from every pore of his being. He had won. Up you get, janitor. We've got work to do. The janitor stood up, cape billing out from behind it. Sculptor turned to the door, ready to leave the fray victorious. He grabbed the brass knob, then twisted... Wait. The sculptor tried to twist it. What? The sculptor frustratedly rattled the doorknob, then spun around. Janitor, open this fucking... The janitor was gone, a small pink walkie-talkie left on its seat. Fuck. The sculptor looked around the room. He hadn't noticed before, but there were no windows from which to escape. There were no air vents. There was no plumbing system. The only way out of the room was through the door or through the walls. A single flicking ink, flickering incandescent light bulb glowed obstinately from the roof. The walkie-talkie buzzed, a feminine voice coming through. Hello, sculptor. I want to play a game. The sculptor's jaw dropped. He ran over and grabbed the walkie-talkie, holding down the talk, buck. talk, talk button. Fuck. Fuck. Fuck you, director. Fuck, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck. The sculptor released the button. The walkie-talkie released the sigh. See, that lack of cre creativity is why you're here. You can even swear colorfully. Mm, utter absence of artistic vision. What a talentless hack you are. The sculptor threw the walkie-talkie to the ground, stomping on it and snapping the cheap pink plastic. He turned and kicked the door, trying to gain some leverage. The broken device on the ground transmitted a laugh. <laughs> no, you're not getting out that way. Nor any other way, unfortunately. See, I at least have the foresight to plan for some contingencies. The sculptor ignored the speech, driving his fist into the unyielding wood, screaming bland variants of the word fuck. The flickering light cast deep shadows along the walls, occasionally plunging the whole room into complete darkness. You're going to want to turn around. The sculptor ceased his assault, looking over his shoulder. A large wooden crate stood behind him, occasionally rattling. A muddy red substance was leaking out onto the ground. The sculptor breathed deeply in apprehension, getting a pungent whiff of blood and shit. His face paled. His eyes widened. His life flashed before his eyes as he whispered a single word. Ushkisk. The director cut in with a part. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what that means. The director cut in with a parting remark. I'd say it was nice knowing you, but it wasn't. The flickering incandescent. Before huh? that, just just right before that, um, Polish English dictionary, just generally, embrace, grip, hug, lock, squeeze, a tight hold, an act of squeezing, that kind of thing. Interesting. Okay. Uh, the flickering incandescent light bulb turned off for an instant. The director held her ear to the walkie-talkie. A crunching of wood, a stifled scream, and then a fi final echoing crack. The director pensively sipped her coffee. The peanut. What? Peanut. It's. I think it's the statue, the him. It's, is, is, it's is everyone's the... favorite guy. Because that's oh. what the that's the muddy red substance that's mentioned in the 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 the, the one the blood and shit. 
and then the flicking you. for an instant, and then the the grab. I get you. All right, if you want to continue, I will. Joey, I'm bored. Rita patted one of her invisible spider's bristles, or Sete, as she knew was the formal name. She lazily lied across the back seats of the van. Overgang sat typing on his laptop in the center, looking at the screen through his sunglasses, of course, while Joey and Molly sat in the two front seats, Molly being seated behind the wheel. Go downstairs, then. We've got some video games in there somewhere. Rita sat up, passed over Overgang to reach the front seats. She frowned at him. Joey, this is a van. Vans do not have a downstairs. Joey stared back at her, raising an eyebrow. Hatch in the middle. Watch her step. Rita spun around, furring her brow in confusion. Overgang, move your feet. Overgang shuffled to the right, making room for Rita to slide open the carpeted trapdoor. She sat and dangled her feet into the hole. With a quick hand gesture, her pet spiders all moved down, through, and ahead of her. She grabbed onto the ladder and started descending into the non-Euclidean room. Rita got to the base of the short ladder and looked out at the vast space she had entered. She appraised the place as she descended a staircase into the well-illuminated illuminated foyer. Some walls were brick and mortar, other, some built of bright plastic, some of glass or perspex, some of metal. It was an electric mismatch of materials and design, with huge marble columns sitting adjacent to enormous Campbell soup cans, both supporting a twisting, unevenly shaped roof. Rita walked along the closest wall, glancing into different rooms. Pantries, a dining room, bedrooms, an enormous entertainment room with a television filling an entire wall. Rita couldn't stop grinning. An impossible mansion was hidden beneath the floor of their van. Rita saw Overgang drop down through the hatch and walk over to the dining room table, holding his laptop in one hand and typing on it with the other. Joey followed, walking into the pantry and grabbing an apple, crunching off a mouthful. He threw Rita another apple. She caught it and took a bite. She pursed her lips, wincing softly as Joey chuckled to him. Wincing softly as Joey chuckled to himself. It tasted like lemons. So what do I do with you two? Agent Green sat across from the painter and the builder. The painter had dried blood around his mouth, with dark spots of it across his chest. The, blo- the builder had deep bags under his eyes from stress and sleeplessness. Agent Alcorn was watching a video feed from the other room. On the one hand, the pair of you are threats to society at large. You're near the top of a large group of anarchists on the side of the equator. You're dangerous. Admittedly, you're both comparatively incompetent, but still dangerous. If we were doing this by the book, you'd both already be dead. Sorry, terminated. Green stood up and started to play- pace in the cell. The pair of anarchists looked down at their knees. At the same time, you know things. Your brains are potential assets. As such, I am reluctant to do any damage to them. Green turned and sat down. Luckily, I found a solution to this problem. Would you like to know what it is? The painter looked up at Green, spitting in his face. Fuck you. Green wiped the saliva off, smiling condescendingly. He pulled out a long, thick thick syringe from his pocket, a brown, uneven mixture swirling inside. Green walked around behind the painter, who was still sitting bound to the chair. The painter started to struggle, anticipating the worst. Don't fucking touch me! Shh. Green stuck the hypodermic needle into the back of the painter's shoulder, pushing the liquid in. As the last drop was squeezed from the chamber, the painter shuddered, shuddered silently, slight, slightly, and let his fe- head fall limp onto his chest. Only dreams now, Robbo. Green walked over to the other side of the table, looking into the builder's tired eyes. As for you, Bob, you get a few more uh, precious minutes of consciousness before we pump you full of barbit- barbit- barbiturates. The builder gazed dully black. Ah, chemically induced coma. Well, at least I'll be able to get some sleep. Quite. Anything to say before we put you under? Some piece of valuable advice? A nice, profound little phrase on the subject of the human condition and art. Anything useful at all? No. No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. And then the builder's world was nothing. Ruiz de Champ was dead. A lot of invitations were sent out regardless. 
some to academic professionals, some to world-renowned artisans, some to homeless people, and some to people believed to have been long since dead. The source of invitations was indeterminate. It was as though the letters simply popped into existence on the insides of the mailbox bags. That was, of course, impossible, and therefore exactly what was happening. Most of the recipients had never heard of Ruiz de Champ. Most of the world had never heard of Ruiz de Champ. Most of the world did not care about Ruiz de Champ. Three people in the world cared that Ruiz de Champ was dead, and even then, they didn't care that much. Rita danced across the rooftops, grinning happily to herself. She, she threw neon-colored smoke grenades into the alleyways below, carried and shielded by her caterer of invisible arachnids. Molly and Joey sprinted up the rusty outer staircase, carrying briefcases filled with art supplies. Rita pulled out her phone, shouting over the gunfire below. Oh gee, roof, corner of 4th and 2nd. Molly passed her briefcase to Joey, then pulled a slingshot from her pocket, firing high-velocity jelly beans at the GOC agents chasing after them. The building started to shake violently. Rita looked over the edge of the building, watching Overgang drive their van vertically up its side. He reached the top, the van shot upwards, turned parallel to the resurface, and then came crashing down with a violent thud. Overgang pressed a button on the dashboard, and a long, multi-jointed robotic arm burst from the side of the vehicle. It weaved out and latched solidly onto Joey, grabbing him by the back of his belt and pulling him to the vehicle. Molly, Molly continued shooting jelly beans. Rita rode her spiders into the vehicle and down into the hidden mansion through the center trap door. Overgang pushed down on the accelerator, turning in an arc that moved just behind Molly. Molly, in turn, shot a final beam into the chest of a well-armored soldier, then jumped in the, into the van. The GOC agent's bullets ricocheted off the van, leaving small dents and loud metallic dings wherever they hit. Overgang hit the accelerator, shooting the van off the roof. For a few seconds, he was weightless, freefall grabbing at him, then the van hit the ground. If it weren't for the intricate anomalous dampening system he'd installed in it the previous week, they'd all be dead. He grinned from the adrenaline, glad that it had worked perfectly the first time. I met a wise man once. I climbed great mountains and crossed a great vast chasm and found him sitting in the center of the world. I asked him who he was, and he told me he was a student. A student of who, I asked. A student of the only teacher, he said. Are there other students, I asked. We are all students, and in terms we all become teachers, he said. I asked him who he was. He told me he was the Buddha. Unfortunately, a different wise man told me this. If you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. The snipper spun around, grinning. So, of course, I slit his throat. There were no corpses. The corpses reminded him of the dead, and the dead reminded him of his brother. His brother was dead. Ruiz was dead. What a fucking spoil sport. Where are my corpse twisters? Let them guard the door. Such a disappointment. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Then why think? Why think indeed? Here I speak plainly. To you, dearest brother, to you. Pico walked to the wall, picking up a bottle of vodka and pouring it into his open mouth, speaking and sputtering through a stream of alcohol. What's the purpose, the meaning, the raison d'etre, I would say, if I wanted to be obnoxiously condescending and unforgivably French? I'm beginning to sound preachy here. Good morning, living earth. Pico took the bottle and smashed it onto the ground. What did that mean, I wonder? What, what, what? We've been over this. The meaning of things is in the thinking of their meaning. Meaning needs people. Without people, there is no meaning, and the world is nothing. The world is nothing. Have you ever tried killing yourself? I have. What was it like? It was not comfortable. I expect not. And you expect correctly, Figment. Figment? Figment. A figment is all you are. Ah, you would know better than I would. I certainly hope so. A good figment, though. A pretty little figment. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. You stole that from me. You stole that from me. Well, what do you think? You stood on the opposite side of the room, staring at the madman talking into empty space. You wondered who he was talking to. That is, you wondered who I was, or perhaps him. Past continuous verb tense is tricky business, is it not? The snipper speaks. That it is. And you respond with silence. Or do you? 
How would you react? How did you? How do you? Would you kill this man? I place a knife in your hand. Pico offers his throat. The decision was, is, will be left to you. Dude, this shit's fucking weird. <laughs> so, uh, for the people that are listening to this, um, there were no quotations around the other stuff. So, Pico Second was all person. thinking this, but is all... Yeah, it's like... It's like first, their narrator. It's like a past continuous verb tense or whatever. Oh, God. Okay, That's so, funny. yeah. <laughs> Agent Green took a deep breath, puffing smoke out into the street. He idly rubbed his teeth with his tongue, watching cars speed from by from his seat outside the cafe. He stubbed out a cigarette into the ashtray, then picked up a cup of tea and began to drink. Agent Alcord pulled out the seat across from Green, sitting down and pulling out a cigarette of his own. Green offered his lighter. Alcorn waved his cancer stick across the flame until it took. Alcorn raised the cigarette to his mouth, breathed in a warm lungful of noxious fumes, and blew a stream of gray across the similarly gray city. He turned to Green. You're shit at your job. Green stared into his reflection on the surface of the tea. Yeah. Alcorn took another drag from his cigarette. Better than I'd be, though. Better than most. The problem is people. Everything's people, Green. The problem and the solution. You're the closest solution we've got to a shitty, shitty problem. Alcorn threw his cigarette to the ground, putting it out with a twist of his shoe. Man, fuck artists. Fuck artists and fuck art. Green continued staring into his cup of tea. Have you ever tried killing yourself? I have. What was it like? It was exhilarating. Everything up until then was just nothing. There's no quotes on these either. I stood in the fresh breeze of a wintry July. The coarse gravel crunched beneath my sandals. My legs ached from the long uphill walk. The night was dark, as nights tend to be. I was twelve at the time. Twelve, a touch too young. Too young to be a part of the world, yes, but not too young to hate it. The world is rotten, fragment. My world, at least. Yours is a touch more pew. Pure. You digress. I do. The ground crunched beneath me. I stood at the top of the hill. The train station was below. The bells and lights and everything flashed. Ding, 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 and the train was gone. I stood in star-embroidered pajamas. I looked up at the sky, and there were no stars. Too close to the city. Too light. And to massive stadiums of glorified idiots. The people of the earth got in the way of the world. They didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve me. I didn't deserve them. You sounded like me. Perhaps I was, though where you are gleeful and free, I was bitter and entrapped. Trapped in a world that didn't think, couldn't conceive, or comprehend. I walked down the hill and tripped. Small rocks stuck to my hands and palms and fingers. I picked them up and dusted them off, and my skin turned a little red. I walked to the road and looked first from side to side. How ridiculous. Now, safety first. A car would not be certain. The key here is efficiency. I crossed the road and crossed a bridge. The people from the last train were leaving. You would think, perhaps, I would be stopped. That one of these people would kneel down and say hello, or ask who I was, or where I was going, or remark on the handsomeness of my star-embroidered pajamas. But none did, and so I kept walking. People don't notice what doesn't concern them. True, and people are never concerned. Everything is alright. Everything is always on right. Everything is always under control. I walked past the horde of zombies and down to the station. The lights were on, you see, but nobody was there. I walked to the edge and dangled my legs from the side. The people left, and so I dropped. The gravel crunched beneath my sandals as I hit the ground. I walked to the metal tracks and then lightly hit the side with my foot. It felt me real, more real than everything. That single piece of track was the only thing that could do anything for me. The only thing that could save me. I lied down across the tracks and prayed for salvation. And did God hear? Censored God. He heard and did not stop the train. Rita sat at her, at her computer, tapping absentmindedly at the keys. She'd already seen everything that was new on the internet for today. She was getting no new messages via phone or email. She had entered into a strange kind of feeling. Rita wanted to do something, and yet nothing seemed particularly interested. Interesting. She lied at an attorney's gate, waiting for the doors to open. They never even moved. 
She rested her head on its side atop the wooden table. Nobody was sitting at the table beside her, and so she started to speak, speaking to him. Hey, Tan. The man who was once called Tangerine raised his eyebrows in surprise. You aren't supposed to remember me. Rita tapped her skull, expression vacant. Eidetic memory, locked in for life. No forgetting your stupid shirts. Still, though, it's just a hat, Tan. No more magic or omnipotent than anyone else, anything else we do. Smoke and mirrors. Nobody pulled the hat from his head, running his fingers through his unkept red hair. You may be right at that. So, what do you want? Nothing in particular. Rita sighed. Why are you here, Tan? Keeping tabs, checking up on old friends. Why are you here, Tan? Nobody frowned at the girl sitting across the table. Am I not welcome? No more or less welcome than anyone else. Just curious is all. You know what they say about curiosity and the cat. Something, something I hate Mondays. Rita stood up and walked over to the refrigerator, pulling out a can of grape-flavored soft drink. She flicked up, she flicked up the tag, tab, cracking it open with a hiss of escaping gas. The question stands, Tan. You get nothing until you answer. Nobody sighed. What is it that you're doing, then, Rita? Why are you here? Rita took a gulp of bubbling purple fluid. It's more interesting than the alternatives. Why? These people are more interesting than the other people. So you're driven by interest? Sure. Then that's my answer, too. Rita sat down at the table again. Okay. Okay, Tan. It's like... Okay. What's the, what's the worth of a person? Nobody rubbed his chin, making dull scratching sounds against his stubble. The potential of their contributions, I suppose. Some of their parts, then. Sure. All right, then. Let's say we've got two people, right? Okay. Completely identical in every way except one. One of them has a different, unique offering to reality. A differentiator of worth. Hmm. They can both go off and do the same thing. They get paid well enough for what they for doing what they can. But that one with the potential offering never gets to show it. That potential dies. Nobody said nothing. I've got lots of stuff that I can do better than everyone else, right? I'm a genius, Tan. You pick any job and I can do it better than anyone else can. But that's meaningless. That's not the point. That's not my worth, right? The worth is in uniqueness. And that's why I'm not sitting in a classroom doing easy little sums, learning how to spell. I'm doing stuff that only I can do. And above that, I'm doing it because it makes me happy. Usefulness be damned. You get it? Nobody placed the hat back on his head. What about obligation? Obligation to who? The world, I suppose. Capability that does not equate to obligation. I'm not indebted to anyone. That's pretty selfish. Yes. You are selfish. Yes. Don't you feel guilty? No. Why not? I've done nothing to warrant guilt. The world owes me nothing, and I owe the world nothing. Obligation is bullshit, Tan. Nobody smiled faintly. Perhaps it is. And then nobody went off and did something else, and Rita did nothing and sat at the table tapping the keys on the keyboard until she fell asleep. Have you ever tried... I'm sending a pattern. Mm -hmm. I'm, I read this first line. Have you ever tried killing yourself? I have. Same. No quotes. What was it like? It was morose. Everything up until then was just nothing. I stood in the cool breeze of a wintry July. The coarse gravel crunched beneath my sandals. My legs ached from the long walk. The night was dark, as night tends to be. I was sixteen at the time. Sixteen? A movie teenager, then. Nothing of the sort. But then I was a wise man. I was disillusioned. <clears throat> the world had become boring again. I had already died once in a way of sorts. But it hadn't took a while, so I took a taking my life again. Resolute in the decision? Oh no, I see something in the... I was resolute the first time. By the second, I was simply going through the motions. I guess I was driven by to insanity. Doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. So I walked across the old building, tall and wooden and long since condemned, and yet nobody wanted to waste the time to knock the thing down. I'd always loved the house. 
It seemed mysterious, otherworldly. As if there was anything interesting on the face of the planet, it would be in that house. And I went inside. And was there anything interesting inside? Nothing but me. I made my way through a window, locked. It was but an old lock, and hard, not hard to pick. I cut myself a little in the frame. Old paint made its way under the skin. Would have become infected if I lived beyond that night. The place was interesting, of course. The floor was textured hardwood. I took off my sandals and walked around. The texture beneath my feet was unspeakable, and yet the happiness was hollow. There was a table, some chairs, three floors tall in all. And the death? The death was morose. I walked up the creepy staircases, looking through every room, and coughed from the dust. I brushed aside a cobweb. A spider jumped from the web and bit my hand. I crushed it and threw its body to the ground. I got to the top floor and then kicked out the rotten hand railing. The impact was not a certain death. I took my pocket knife and slit my wrists, my legs, my ankles. I slit my throat, then fell forward. As the wind rushed past my face, I prayed that I was wrong, that this was a dream, that the world had meaning. I was trapped in a world that understood the symptoms but not the cause. A transient physician, not one that offered a cure or merely blind treatment. One that didn't care. All that there was to do was hope and pray. And did God hear? He heard and did not stop the fall. Ruiz de Champ was dead. The funeral was short, boring, and Catholic. Though the, the two Catholic. of those adjectives are redundant. Yeah, Catholic. 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 Cool. The two of those Whoa. adjectives were redundant. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, the funerals normally are attended by those closest to the, to the, the deceased. Ruiz, having been an abrasive asshole for the majority of his adult life, and the entirety of the time before that, had never found much time for quote-unquote friends. Acquaintances, yes, Ruiz knew a lot of people. The difference between acknowledgement and acceptance is... Hmm, not as much as you think, really. Simply a matter of opinion. He did extract a sort of grudging respect for most people he mocked. He wasn't really a good artist, or at least he wouldn't think so himself. Yet somehow, through a strange series of coincidences, he convinced an astonishing number of people into thinking he was. Perhaps he was just a really, really good liar. If only he'd gone into politics. Of course, for every lie Ruiz told, there was some truth. Nothing comes from nothing. The web of lies caught glistening segments of the real him. A million shattered pieces, intricately reflecting a single source. Reflecting a presumably co coherent whole. Or was it? Of course it was. People are, after all, just people. After the condescension of mad artistry and utter insanity, there was a thinking, living, breathing human being, seeking validation through the only source he could. And when validation ran out, there was nothing left for him. His eulogy didn't really mention any of this. This was because Ruiz wrote and delivered his own, recorded as always with a banged-up Betamax recorder. When it was left to Ruiz to sum up his own life, this is what he said. Greetings, friends, enemies, frenemies, enemies, cyborgs, wizards, dogs, cats, mice, flies, microbes, viral... Uh, yeah. What Viri. the fuck? Viri, Vi viruses, cashiers, <laughs> and other subjective ex existences potentially living in a comparatively relative future. Best regards from beyond the grave. Cut. Alright, I'm going to record this bit a few times. When you're, you know, actually airing this, just pick whichever one seems valid the most. And then everyone will be all like, whoa, he was psychic or something, amazing. And everyone will think I was a cool guy or a psychic or something. Okay? Okay. One. This one you air if I die of old age or by accident or something boring. This is basically the generic one. So when you're clipping all this together, start from here. So, I'm dead now. I bet I went out with bang, no? Some enormous fiery, some enormous fiery explosion got me, most likely, while saving a sack of kittens and orphans. I went out bravely, unwavering in my convictions and the strength of the human spirit, or something. Cut, and two. This is for if some asshole kills me. Start from here. So, I'm dead now, and I've got a confession to make. I know who murdered me. Spooky, you know? That person, in fact, is sitting in this very room. The police will be along to take statements shortly, and probably kill the one judge guilty. Cut. 
and three. All right, this one, well, this one's for if I see myself out starting. So I'm dead now. I've rage quit reality and left a lot of you morons behind. Cut. Yes, I know, it's short, but fuck it. Nobody likes funerals. Hell, who's to say I'm ever going to die anyway? Don't know why I'm even bothering to record this. Okay, uh, from now until the end, just keep it all in. Well, I, I mean, not this bit, after I finish the sentence. So here's my eulogy to you. People of a boring planet, insignificant blobs of pus and flesh with delusions of importance and grandeur, may flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. May you sit and be entertained in masturbatory bliss, and you rot forever in your filthy sty. I cannot live to hear the news from England, so burn my mail for me while I'm away. Good night, dead society. The rest is silence. The church, of course, didn't have a Betamax player, and so nobody heard the eulogy. <laughs> nobody heard it. Have you ever tried killing yourself? I have. What was it like? It was frightening. Everything up until then was just nothing. I stood in the freezing breeze of a wintry July. The coarse gravel crunched beneath my sandals, my legs ached from the long downhill walk. The night was dark, as nights tend to be. I was twenty at the time. Twenty? Tired of stacking shells, perhaps. Quite the opposite. All I wanted was simplicity. I had long since given up on choice. I had long since given up on hope. I had given up on life and love and everything. Self-preservation is not an emotion. Fear, yes. Fear of death is emotional, but the drive itself is not. Nor is it logical. The drive to keep existing is common among things that exist simply because that which lacks the drive does not exist for long. Even bacteria try to live, but not for fear of death. They must do so because they must. You digress. I do. The ground crunched beneath me. I stood at the bottom of the hill, the beach stretched out in front of me. The salty sea air ripped against my lips, flaying my skin in the lightest of blows. I took off my sandals, sinking my feet into vaguely damp sand. I wiggled my toes, working tiny gradules behind my toenails. I walked towards the ocean. Such a powerful thing, waves crashing down unrelentingly. I took my phone from my pocket and threw it far away, unable to hear a splash above the constant roar of wind and water. I've never seen the ocean. It is a thing to see. I suppose all things are. Raw, unharnessed energy tearing out the ground from underneath. I walked through, goosebumps up on my arms, shivering from the wintry gusts, breathing shallow breaths and still placing one foot in front of the other. The icy water hit my legs and I fell over from the shock. And then, I stood up again. I kept moving, striding through the fear. It needed to end. It had to end. I just wanted to cash out. I needed to leave the table. I had all the chips. Why was the game still going? When you win, the game is over and you move to another. But the universe likes this game and it makes me keep playing. I scooped a handful of seawater and threw it into my mouth. The cold numbed my taste buds, but not enough for the salt for to shine through. I walked more, then the wave hit and I collapsed. I opened my eyes. Again, the salt stung, but I did not mind. The water pulled me out. The currents kept me down. I breathed in and felt heavy and full. My body matched the ocean's density. I was one with it, at its mercy, and soon, ideally, to pass. And so I prayed that this time would change, that anything would be different. And did God hear? You may have heard, but Poseidon won. Carol gave Sandra Paulson and Felix Quire their beverages, then walked behind the counter. Felix blew softly across the top of his cup of coffee, then raised it to his lips and took a tentative sip. Sandra closed her eyes, dropping her forehead with her palms, grumbling a query. What happened? Does it really matter? It kind of does. You'd know more than I would, gallivanting around like a pair of idiots. We know something happened. All communication gets cut, stops living in the gallery, and, you know, actually releases Wowee to the public. So glad you've thinned it down to something. How well did you know him? <laughs> Not at all. Only met him after he sent that stupid video. You? I know him a bit. We went to school together. See, I think he might have had a crush on me or something for a while. I don't know. I'm not good with things like that. Fuck, he definitely wasn't. What was he like back then? Pretty much the same. Condescending asshole? 
Yep. Sandra cracked her knuckles, then picked up her mug of green tea. She sipped it, swilling around the bitter liquid in her mouth. He stopped taking his pills. The pair of them looked towards Carol, the disingenuous smile common to food. The di yeah, the disingenuous smile common to food service workers plastered across her face. She slipped out from behind the counter, sitting at their table and resting her elbows on a surface, her chin in turn resting in her open palm. He used to come in here around midday, order a few coffees, and drink with a handful of pills. The last few weeks, he'd still come in here and order the same thing, just never taking anything with him. It was almost as though he'd completely forgotten because of something happened. Like someone made him forget. But that's just silly, isn't it? Carol continued smiling blankly, tapping the side of her nose. Sandra, Sandra and Felix glanced at each other, Sandra adding a question they both wouldn't have answered. And who are you, again? The janitor. Felix spat tea all over the table, drawing the attention of people seated nearby. Sandra froze, processing the new information, comparing it to what was known previously. Carol continued. I could have drawn that out longer, but there's no real point in hiding it. Felix pulled some napkins sitting in a holder, wiping the table clean while posing a query. Can you prove that? Carol pulled out a dark black gas mask from behind her apron. Felix stared at the object with the same feeling of awe and fear that it forced in anyone who looked upon it. A cheap trick, arguably, but one that served the position well. Carol dropped the mask into the front pocket of her apron and Felix felt the weight lift off his chest. It's just a mask and a meter, though it would disagree. That said, housekeeping. The only remaining members of our shady little cabal are sitting at this table. Everyone else is either predisposed or dead. We are looking for new members. Felix raised an eyebrow. Sandra still occupied in thought. I kind of quit. You didn't quit. You took a break. Now you're coming back. Felix sighed. If you say so. I've composed a short list for your perusal. Nimban and Aldan are probably the best bits at this point, though the final decision rests in your hands. Sandra interjected. Ours? Well, I'm not the one who makes the decisions. It's your club. I'm just a cleaning lady. By the way, one of you has to be the critic now, so... Not it. Not it. Ugh, damn it. The critic sipped his coffee. Then that's resolved. You need three new members in the next week. Titles are up to you, as is everything, when it comes down to it. You've got my number, of course, and I'm normally in here if you just want something to drink. Sandra returned to the original topic. What about Duchamp? He's dead. The students the suits didn't kill him, but they gave him the rope to hang himself. Your actions would not have changed the outcome regardless. There's little else to say on the matter. If you say so. A familiar, cough, a familiar customer walked through the door. Cigarette smoke still tra trailing behind him. Why are you working in a coffee shop, though? Carol stood up, smiling the same emotional si smile. Because I like coffee. Have you ever tried killing yourself? I have, many times. What was it like? It wasn't like anything. Nothing was alike? No, everything was alike. It felt like anything else. And what was that feeling? Nothing. Everything up until that point was nothing. And yet what followed was nothing too. Nothings on nothings on nothings. Nothing comes of nothing. Live again. Mr. Red walked. Mr. Red had been walking for a very, very long time. His shoes, once clean, shiny, polished, and black, were tattered, scuffed soles in a dusty, non-reflective gray. His socks had worn through hours after the soles fell out. The skin on his feet has taken, had taken days, but in time, it too fell through. Mr. Red walked, leaving bloody footprints across along miles of forests and freeways. It had been years since he'd been home. Mr. Red could not re quite recall what had made him decide to go home, but then he could not recall things well at the best of times. He shoved his fists into his pockets, his right hand brushed against the paper of a forgotten invitation, and he remembered why he was going home. He pulled his hands from his pockets and promptly forgot. All that was real was walking, the raw flesh of his feet on the hot tar of the road. Walking and walking and walking. Fists into pockets, out of pockets, into pockets. Day into night, to day into night, into weeks of walking through fields of broken glass with nothing, nothing to eat or drink or do but to walk and think of nothing but the walk. 
For the first time in his life, though of course he could not recall such, Mr. Red's mind was focused on a singular objective, lower and uppercase, and the friend who talked like this withered away into dust, succumbing to the talking, to the walking, the motion subsuming themselves into an intensely coherent whole. Mr. Red walked for forty days and forty nights. Then he stood outside the wonderworks. Mr. Red walked up the chain-link fence. He his, cracked his fingers one by one, then leapt up, grabbing onto the interlocking wire mesh. He shoved his flayed feet into footholds, staining the gray metal with red. He continued climbing upwards, then, climb, then grabbed onto the roll of razor wire when he reached the top. Mr. Red silently grinned as blood dripped from fresh holds in his hands. He pulled himself up and over the roll of steel barbs, then fell in a crumpled heap on the other side of the fence. He felt the shoulder dislocate from the impact. Smiling faintly, he sh stood and shoved it back into position with an uncomfortable crunch. Mr. Red stretched his arm into the air, blood dripping from his fresh stigmata. Mr. Red lifted digits, grinning in his mouth, filled with a taste of iron. He walked over to the building proper. As he approached, glass doors slid apart automatically for him. He moved into the empty lobby, dying the white marble floors crimson. The front desk was unmanned. Mr. Red dinged the cowbell sitting on the table. There was no response. No matter. He turned and started to walk through the labyrinth labyrinthine cor corridors of the Wonderworks, aimlessly stumbling past innumerable doors. The decor was consistently shiny. Polished on marble, polished on glass, polished on cases of thousands of toys. Everything was reflective. Mr. Red's footprints echoed throughout the corridors. Mr. Red turned a corridor and found himself looking at a small army of corgis. They excitedly barked at each other, then dissipated, waddling off in every direction. Some of them walked past him. One of them stopped at his feet, sitting at attention. Mr. Red scowled at the dog, blood dripping from his hands onto the floor. Jeremy barked helpfully and started leading the guest to his master. Mr. Red shuffled along behind the dog's skittering little legs, keeping his eyes fixed firmly on its wagging tail. The dog weaved through passages, finally stopping the large wooden doors of, office, of the office of Isabel Helga Anastasia Parvati Wondertainment V, Ph.D. He turned to Mr. Red, barking a parting fail, barked a parting fail farewell, then left to take care of other business. Mr. Red twisted the handle and pulled the door open. Isabel Wondertainment had been rolling around on the floor while eating a chocolate bar. She heard the door open and looked at the man standing there. The man was taller than her, which was unusual to begin with. Furthermore, he had deep red strawberry ice cream all over his mouth, feet, and hands. Why did he have strawberry ice cream on his feet? She shouted out to him across the large and open office. Why are you walking on ice cream? Mr. Red started walking slowly towards her, growling at query. Where's your dearest daddy? Dead, I think. Mr. Red stopped walking. Isabel watched him freeze up, then fall to his knees. He rubbed strawberry ice cream from his hands through his hair, then looked to the roof and started to scream. Isabel shoved her fingers in her ears and closed her eyes, wincing at the volume. Then the scream turned into great peals of cackling laughter. When Isabel opened her eyes, Emma Azelthorpe Brown was standing between her and the man who maybe liked strawberry ice cream too much for his own good. Mr. Red cackled, then fell to the side, lying on the ground while lightly convulsing. And then it stopped. Mr. Red cracked his fingers again, then pushed him up himself up onto his feet. He rubbed blood into his eyes and looked over to the woman standing, woman be standing behind, between him and the girl. And who are you? Emma Azelthorpe Brown, Mr. Wondertainment's, Miss Wondertainment's assistant. You? Red, a uh, product of her father's, as if she, as is she, if you think about it. We're siblings after a fashion. Mr. Red grinned widely, bloodstained teeth poking out from behind, from between his lips. I did say I was coming. I sent a lot of letters. Emma stared plainly at the man standing across from her. What do you want? Just saying hello. Thought I might ask the old man for some new toys. One of mine seems to have broken, you understand. I'd be looking for something new. If he's not here, though, then I guess nothing can be done. Mr. Red stared past Emma, looked towards, looking towards Isabel, who was still chewing her chocolate bar. The old man was dead. 
There was nothing left to do here. Mr. Red was no longer angry. There was nobody left to be angry at. He smiled. I'm past my warranty, regardless. He turned and shuffled out the door, trailing Scarlet behind him. Let us not burden our remembrances with the heaviness that's gone. Hmm. My brain's too small. For so, that last one. Uh, it, it, at the end of that, once again, let us not burden our remembrances with the, heavy, the heaviness that's not gone. That's gone. It says thank you for reading at the bottom. It also says and introducing subversion. Uh oh. Uh oh. If you click on that, it takes us to some other shit. Although, oh, it it's a like new it's story not, series that is not done. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but also, it seems like during that last bit, um, so it seems like Mr. Red was kind of the observer that was saying yes. all that stuff. I couldn't yeah. remember in the last one, was it... I couldn't remember, was he the janitor? He was something. He was in one of the other ones. Yeah. I don't remember I don't either. Remember. But he killed the other three in his mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's the Cool War. Um, yeah. Good lord. Artists. Yeah, man. That shit was crazy. Like it's kind of weird that it's, like, done now. Um, yeah. Strange. I don't know. It's, uh... <laughs> I really, like, I don't know what else to say at this point. Because yeah. it's just so, like... I feel like that got wrapped up pretty well. Yeah, it's a pretty good story. It got some, like... I think it's the kind of ending that's, like, artsy enough that you could tell that they're kind of, pl- like, self-aware of it. And then the red thing is just, like... Mr. Red. People like Mr. Yeah. Red. Because Mr. Red... Okay, so... We'll probably do the Little Misters next so that I can explain that more. But if I remember right... Um... If you go to the Misters hub, they're all, like, skips and they're guys and, like... But if you mm-hmm. go to Red, it's a tail. And that was the last one the Foundation acquired. At the end of that tail... Because it's... Because a little paper says collect them all and become Mr. Collector. And then at the end of that tail, the Administrator becomes the Collector because they've contained them all. Um... Mm-hmm. But red, it's not like contained. It's like a deal that is made with him or something. Because okay, at least in this interpretation, red is also, I think. Oh, that's what it was. Red is the Jesus of the Scarlet King. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is something. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> all I I do not remember what the Scarlet King is at all. Like yeah, I, I always seem to just either. forget. But I think we'll do that kind of series next. And then yeah. Mr. Red, and then there's a, there's a couple tales I think in the Collector series. Cool. Um, so yeah. All right, good shit, time. man. That uh, this yeah. is that was the Cool War. I hope you all enjoyed it as well, along with us, because we've been doing it for the past three months. And if you didn't <laughs> so, enjoy it, it's over now. We're on the yeah. new things. Yeah. New so, guys. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed that. That shit was confusing as fuck, but it was a good time. It's a good story. It's a good, good stories. All right. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll probably do the little misters next time and, and go on from there. Um, we will see you guys uh, in the next episode. Until then, uh, I don't know. Have a good life. Yeah. All right. Have a happy bye. February. That too. <laughs>